This is the ERP Advisor. Today's episode, how ransomware can hold your ERP hostage. Thank you everyone for joining us for today's webinar, how ransomware can hold your ERP hostage. Sean Wendell is one of our speakers for today. Sean is the founder and managing principal of ERP Advisors Group based in Denver, Colorado. Sean has over 25 years of experience in the enterprise software industry, helping hundreds of clients across many industries with selecting and implementing a wide variety of enterprise solutions. His podcast, The ERP Advisor, has dozens of episodes with thousands of downloads and is featured on prominent podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. James McQuiggan is our special guest today. Joining us, James is a 20-year security veteran and security awareness advocate for Know Before, as well as a part-time faculty professor at Valencia College. James has achieved many certifications, identifying him as an expert in the fields of cybersecurity and security awareness. He's previously worked as a product and solution security officer, information security analyst, and network security engineer for Siemens, where he consulted and supported various corporate divisions on cybersecurity standards, information security awareness, and securing product networks. On today's call, James and Sean will help educate ERP users on protecting their software from devastating effects of ransomware. James, thank you for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Yes, absolutely. So so Sean is going to join us here shortly. He'll pop in. Um, He's finishing up another meeting for sure. But um, so October is Cybersecurity Month, and Mm -hmm. this is your third year joining us for this call. So we really appreciate it. Well, that's interesting because I just had my third year anniversary with No Before. Oh, nice. Very good. Well, we will have you back as many years as that you will join us because you have so much great information to share with everyone. Like I say, it's a little scary. Well, actually a lot scary, (laughs) but very informative and um, a lot of good information. So thank you again. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. I mean, the topic of ransomware is very scary. Um, It does frighten a lot of folks. I've had many conversations with security practitioners and leaders and organizations and scared of trying to figure out what they do in the event they are attacked and and how to make sure that they are protected. And essentially, everybody um, is going to deal with it at some point in one way or another. So it's important to uh, to be prepared, but you know it is a scary scenario. But I always, uh, when it comes to these kind of things, I always try to keep it not doom and gloom and fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I always like to try and keep the atmosphere a little light. But we all deal with vulnerabilities in life and with our systems and everything else. But I'm curious if your audience knows how you um, how you deal with a vulnerability with your jacko lantern. I I don't I don't know if they know. Do you want to tell us? you would apply the pumpkin patch. There you go. <laughs> and that would solve it all, right? <laughs> Don't we wish? Yeah, if that was only that easy. Well, we've said for years, patch your systems, patch your systems, but we know that is easier said than done. Without a doubt, without a doubt. So let me ask you, James, because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's people on this call that think they know what ransomware is, but could mm-hmm. you just give us a good explanation of what it exactly is? Essentially, ransomware is is malicious software that is designed to make your data unavailable. It goes through a process uh, where the cyber criminals have written this malicious software, this code. 
Um, and they vary it. They varied it over the years. You've got different groups that are out there that are making their own, and they're essentially encrypting the data files. They're not to get too down in the weeds of the, the bits and bytes of all of it, but what they're doing is they're encrypting what's called the header file in each of the, the data files. And that's why they're able to do it very, very quickly. And they're, they're when they get inside the systems or a system or work their way into a network and they're doing the reconnaissance and they're finding the systems and they're stealing the data and, and the passwords and, and everything else. They're also looking to see what they can encrypt, um, what value that would have, and then plan on holding that data essentially for ransom. And when they run, launch the encryption software, it ends up leaving a nice little note behind that says, hi, your data has been encrypted. Here's the uh, dark web or the onion website you've got to go visit. You need to use a Tor browser and you're going to need to pay us in Bitcoin. And then at which point uh, you have to get the Tor browser, you have to get some Bitcoin. And that is a, a, a very uh, extensive process to go through that. But the cyber criminals want to get paid because that's why they do what they do. Uh, it's all about the money. They want to get paid. They want to make their millions of dollars. And by encrypting the data, of course, you're unable to use it. It's not available for you. And you're either kind of stuck in a position where either you're going to pay or you're not going to pay. And the whole process goes by very, very quickly. One of the things that I do with my students at the college where I teach at every semester is we do elect, I do a lecture on ransomware. And I actually demonstrate the ransomware attack on a system. I have I've downloaded ransomware samples from a variety of different groups over the years and been able to find through the dark web. And I actually launched one of them against my own virtual machine system. It's it's isolated. It's, it's off my network, but it's running. And I launched the encryption. And the data that I have on there is about 40 gigabytes. And it only takes about 10 seconds to fully encrypt all 40 gigabytes. And... Oh, wow. It takes about a minute for for it to finish its whole process and and everything else. So it, it's very very quick when they go to encrypt uh, a particular system. So it's hard to stop it unless it starts spreading, and you can you can stop it from the spreading to other systems. But when it goes to just attack one system, yeah, it's very difficult to stop it. Yeah, but how would you even know? Like, would you be sitting in front of your computer and know that it was happening? Doesn't it happen when you least expect it kind of thing? Or like you try to open your computer in the morning when you get to work and right. It's going no? to happen when the cyber criminals are ready for it to happen. You know, when they launch the malware, when they've done everything they want to do with the system, then they launch the, the code, but they're going to do it at a time when they know people will be watching. Even if you, even if they launched it at three in the morning and you came in at eight or nine that morning, you would see the servers are in a, unaccessible. You can still right. get to the server because the operating system is still running, yeah. but any data you try and access will no longer be available because it'll be encrypted. Right. And in every folder where you have data and on the desktop, they leave you that nice little text file that says, hi, we've made your data unavailable. This is where you need to visit. This is how much money we want um, and use this key. So essentially to communicate with us. So yeah, yeah they're, they, they make it very, and it's funny, funny, uh, weird, not funny, haha, but mm -hmm. they, some of the groups out there have their own chat capability where when you go visit their website, it pops up and says, hi, are you here to pay a ransom? If you have any questions, let me know. And you can converse 
through this chat on the web chat form, a uh, chat web chat platform uh, to negotiate. You know, whether you're going to say, look, you know, you're asking for $40 million. We don't have that. We can pay you this. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting that you can actually negotiate or try to negotiate with them, but you can communicate with them, uh, which is, uh, because they want to get paid. And so they're going to leave it so that you know that you, you've been attacked and how you need to respond. Wow. And I mean, we can ask this maybe later, but let me ask this now just quickly. Do most people pay? Depends. So, um, People that do pay is because of one of two reasons. One, they don't have any other recourse or two, they don't want their data put out on the internet because mm. nowadays what cyber criminals are doing is they're doing, they're essentially multiply, multiply, they're extorting organizations through various different ways. They're extorting them by saying, look, we've got your data. If you want it decrypted, if you want the decryption key, send us the money. Hmm. Um, and so they pay because they, they want to be able to decrypt the data. If they don't have backups, if they don't have any way to recover from that, they're at the mercy of the cyber criminals to give them the decryption key. They're now adding in the additional levels of extortion where they say, Get, you're going to pay us to give you the decryption key, and then you're going to pay us so that we delete it. Uh, so that way uh, we don't release it out to the public and for everybody to see. And so that's another reason why uh, the cyber criminals, are, uh, the organizations, the victims are going to pay up because mm -hmm. they're being extorted. And if it's data they don't want leaked out for the whole world to see and available uh, for anybody to download, they end up paying. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Scary, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Sean, I see that you joined. Are you there with us? I sure am. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hey, Hi. Welcome. Sean. Good to see you, James. <laughs> Always a pleasure to see you. So, Sean, let me ask you quickly, um, what's the significance of ransomware and how it relates to a company's ERP system? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I can. Unfortunately, yeah. through some experiences that that we've uh, seen in the last uh, year or so, James had to update you on some of these things. I mean, mm -hmm. you probably get lots of updates from all your friends. They're like, hey, James, guess what happened? You're like, don't tell me all the bad news. Tell me good news. But I know it's good part of it. Um, like we get all the calls on the failed implementations, right? People are like, oh, hey, that didn't go well. I'm like, well, you know. Anyway, um, so I think what we have seen, Juliet, is um, on a couple ransomware attacks where um, basically the company, uh, somebody downloads whatever they download or whatever they do. I think James and No Before, congratulations, by the way, with No Before, with that uh, little purchase. Mm -hmm. small, small, tiny. Um, but, um, but so a, a ransomware virus gets released or sort of attacks the network, right? And um, on that network or on the servers in the network is the ERP. And so the ERP is just another app that can get encrypted and held hostage, just like James was literally just talking about, if the system is on-premise. Mm -hmm. um, and that did happen to a client of ours, and it was really, really bad, really bad. Like they did pay the ransom. And they tried to rebuild and everything else, and they they could barely, barely, barely do it. It took a long time, and it was a nightmare. Um, we had another client that got hit with ransomware who had um, um, their uh, PeopleSoft instance on their local servers, which were I think there were they were their servers uh, in a, their data center, 
And um, again, same thing, ransomware came in, but but there's these devices on the exterior parts of the network that James knows a lot more than I do about, where they were sensing, whoa, there's all this crazy activity, shut things down, start shutting off and partitioning out the network where actually the app was saved. So it didn't get hit with that particular virus. Um, so that was that was good in that at least the app itself didn't have to get rebuilt. Of course, the rest of the network did. Um, and for that one, I think they even did call in the FBI on that one. Mm. Um, that was a big, yeah, they did because uh, it was a utility company, which brings in a whole nother level of issue of, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. kind of protection and government kind of stuff, right? Um, but then the third client that um, we had just implemented NetSuite with them, they were coming off of a version, uh, an on-premise version of SAP um, Business One, and they were in NetSuite, they got hit no effects to the ERP at all. So therefore one could say, oh my gosh, it's better to be in the cloud. And there are certain aspects, certainly in this in this world around an, an individual organization getting hit with ransomware, right? They're gonna be more susceptible to it than say Oracle, right? Or say Microsoft who's hosting or where our software runs in their network. So, um, I mean, those are just some three instances I can think of, Juliet. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. If a company, um, you mentioned on-prem, like if everything is in the cloud, do they still have to worry about a ransomware attack? Or if even say they have a newer ERP ERP system versus an older ERP system? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And James can probably add some thoughts here too. Um, But, but, you know, the, the, the cloud... Um, and again, what is ransomware, right? Like, um, especially with sort of, you know, it starts off, again, James is the expert here, but I've seen this where it's like the phishing attempt or um, even heard about a guy who was, and maybe you told us this a couple of years ago, James, but there was a story about a guy who worked at a large electric car manufacturer who was being um, courted by some uh, cyber. By a, ransom, by a um, Russian operative. Russian and, operatives. Yeah, it was it was a, a worker that worked on the floor that manufactured the batteries for Tesla. They were a third party vendor, and he was approached by a Russian agent to take the thumb drive and plug it into the computer on the shop floor. And the computer, the flash drive, would then access the computer and uh, establish a connection back to wherever the guy's agency was. And so then they could gain access into that system. And then from there, look to steal information off the system, off the network that was all part of this plant. Um, And and interestingly, approached the person because he was a disgruntled employee. They had seen on social media, he wasn't happy where he's working, the rate of pay, whatever it was. And so they approached him and they had leveraged social media to find this person. And he apparently wasn't that disgruntled because he actually turned in mm. uh, the drive and the information to their security team who then contacted the FBI and they set up a sting and arrested him. Uh, and so, but that is the insider threat aspect is another way that the, the cyber criminals like to try and get in, whether nation state or criminal groups, that they will reach out. They'll go online and look at LinkedIn and look at social media, Reddit, um, forms and, and wherever else. And if they come across somebody that's disgruntled, they'll reach out and go, hey, you know, we'll give you the software. You plan it for us because that's a lot easier than trying to hack in through the technology or hack the human and get in through social engineering. 
they got somebody that's ready and willing and able and they do it. And so I haven't, we've heard, and I've seen the information and the stories regarding the attempts. I haven't seen that it's actually been successful yet. Well, and you never would too, right? It's one of those things where if it happened and that's where I was going is you think about everything that that particular cyber criminal was willing to go through, you know, go to the AP clerk, right? Who's upset, just like you said, disgruntled or whatever it is, whatever the thing is. And hey, you know, can you download this for me? Or, oh, no, no, no. Well, you know, maybe there's a little money in it for you or maybe whatever. So so there is this just overall, you know, the human perspective of ERP security, right? And we're not just talking about multi-factor authentication, but like people, right? And and that that's the hard part. But um, you know, we we we're we're on site in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. It's actually quite pretty out the window today. Hence nice. why I was a little late. Um, but um, but you know, we're talking with lots of employees here. All of our clients, you know, we we talk with folks um, across the board for for all the companies that we work with and organizations and nonprofits and. You know, sometimes you can see the people that maybe aren't very happy and that might be more inclined to do some things. And you kind of know it, like you kind of know it, but you kind of don't want to confront it. But mm-hmm. then you hear the stories that that James, unfortunately, has to bear. Um, and, and you start to realize, like, whoa, it's not just this ransomware and, and, and these attacks that come in through the network, but it's actually through my people that I just have to be aware of. So definitely training, definitely just keeping a keen eye, keen eye on what's happening with people, making sure, you know, satisfaction is good. Grant, who's sitting here with me, don't get any ideas. <laughs> We'd be yeah, I mean, insider threat is a whole other, you know, can of worms. Uh, but I, I've talked about many times and looking, being able to look at your HR records, looking at your own network logs, looking at your system logs can kind of lead you on a path to see, you know, where your insider threats are. But yeah, that's that's certainly the uh, policies help as well. You know, having the policies, having those HR policies so that folks are aware what they should and shouldn't be doing and what the implication could be. Because if you are caught stealing information just because you're leaving and going to work for another company, um, there's legal issues, cease and desist, you know, you could be, you know, charged, um, with you know IP theft and everything else, so um, right. yeah, yeah. There's there's a that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, but but it, it does go back to what you said, Juliet, about sort of cloud versus on prem, and so you've got people right. everywhere, right? But there's the technical aspects that um, I do think from from my own experiences, like the three I just said to you, that the cloud systems do have just implicit. I'm just going to say it more security because those guys are in the business of keeping apps secure, whereas our clients are in the business of manufacturing whatever they manufacture, right? So so when you have vendors, software vendors that are dealing with billions and billions of attacks each minute, right? These are bots that are coming in and maybe maybe it's only millions. They know what they're doing. Whereas all of my clients don't have that kind of resource. None of our clients do that can actually put up those kinds of defenses. So, um, but that being said, again, there's 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 the peripheral devices on the network that can sense these different types of activities that are happening. But it, again, going back to training the employees so that they know what they're doing, um, I, I think that's super key. But, um, you know, the other, the other thing I think about too, um, like even with our own systems, like, well, does anybody care about my customer list? Well, not mine necessarily. I mean, we put our customers up on our website already mostly, right? But 
Um, you know, if you're whatever it is, I mean, especially the closer to the government that you're doing business with, whichever government that is, it does become super sensitive information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And if you're dealing, if you're an organization that provides a lot of services to thousands of organizations, you become a target. Oh, you know, we, we look at solar winds, you know, they got into the code and they were able to pass along and gain access into a whole slew of other organizations like FireEye, Microsoft, and so forth. But when I want to kind of add on to what you're talking about, the cloud and the running, the running joke with me is the cloud is just somebody else's computer. Mm-hmm. And so if you're using, if you have your own instances of cloud setups, you're, you know, using Microsoft or Azure, or that is Azure, uh, AWS or Azure, um, whether it's Google, but you're using that, they aren't going to help you with the security. They're going to provide you the infrastructure. You have to still make sure that you're securing your access rights, who logs in. You want to make sure you're still securing and backing up the data. Those organizations are going to provide you that infrastructure for you to run your application or have your data or or whatever it may be. It's up to you as the owner of that system to make sure that you're locking it down, you're restricting access, multi-factor authentication, you've got your backups. When you start looking at organizations that provide software as a service or X as a service, their infrastructures like Microsoft and Azure, your Oracles, your Salesforces, whoever, they have their own security programs in place to be able to protect your data. Uh, And so if you're utilizing them, those software services, they're going to have security programs. But then for you, they're a third-party vendor as well. If they are to be impacted by any type of breach or impacted by any type of an attack, that's going to have an impact on you as well as an organization. So it's important to consider that along with your your supply chain and your your third-party vendor risk management programs. You know, actually, on that point, Juliet, if I may, too, um, James, there was a there was a major enterprise application vendor who did get hit with uh, ransomware um, within the last couple of years. And um, I, I mentioned that story to a group of CFO recently when we were we were speaking at the financials, financial executives, international FEI. Mm-hmm. And um, a person from the audience said, so, like, what do we do about this? And I'm like, well, I mean, you can get the SOC 1, the SOC 2 report. I'm like, you know, you should talk to the vendor, you know, and the, but they really want to talk to you during the sales process. Afterwards, good luck trying to find somebody that knows mm-hmm. what they're doing. But but she said, you know, I think I should just talk to them once a year. And I just thought that was such a great idea, right? Because these enterprise applications become like this, just this mammoth, like like such an important part of the business. Everybody's accessing these systems. They're running the business. They're automating processes, yada, 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 all the normal stuff we talk about. Shouldn't you know what they're really doing? Definitely. And the answer is yes, right? Mm-hmm. So so it, it's almost like, oh, gosh, I can't believe I haven't been doing that. That's how I always feel on our calls, James. <laughs> oh, God, what have I not been doing? But anyway. Well, I mean, you look at you look at this from your third-party risk management program. You know, you've got your ERP. This should be a part of that, that risk register. When you've got remote connections, you're connecting into them they're, or they're connecting into you. You need to have that as part of your as your risk register that you're reviewing and having conversations. You know whether it's asking an update or providing the latest SOC one, SOC two, or other certifications. ISO. Mm-hmm. Um, you know if you're in medical HIPAA, your credit card transactions, PCI, those kind of things. Um, you're you've also dealing with GDPR, so you want to make sure within that risk that uh, third party risk management program that you're going through and you know monitoring it, but also auditing it and reviewing it uh, on a yearly basis. Um, 
And if there's any kind of incident that impacts your data, then you want, you need to know about it. And that's going to go in the contracts. Uh, I, I flash back to my years at Siemens where I dealt with a lot of that remote access and we had a lot of the contracts with regards to cybersecurity for compliance reasons. And there was always those requirements of making sure that they could, there was an audit, there was a review, there was all continuous monitoring going on and, and everything else. And so that has to go into your contracts and then a part of your, your TPRM. Yep. Yeah. So, I, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you got to set it up where you know that the vendor is contractually obligated to provide the, the appropriate level of security. And then I think what what I would add, uh, based on that conversation we had with um, with that CFO, was just have a very general conversation, reach out to your account representatives, your account management organizations, whatever they're called for your key apps, even if they're in the cloud, and just say, I want to talk to your security people about what you guys are really doing. Don't let that person have that conversation with you. It's not going to go very deep. <laughs> you specifically say, I want to talk to your security organization um, mm-hmm. about the, what's really happening. Okay, well, we'll give you the SOC 1, the SOC 2. I understand. Now I'd like to just have a 15-minute conversation mm-hmm. to just hear more of what it is beyond you know what you're contra- contractually obligated to do. It builds, it builds that rapport and that relationship too. Exactly. Yeah, and it does go back to it. it just informed. I, I think that's the whole thing. This is about James. Is like, you know, are you ever safe? Like, if you walk outside the building and boom, something falls on you, whatever, right? You think crazy things happen, right? Especially around European systems. But, um, but the just the more proactive. I mean, Juliet, you always have key points as we go through this. The more you know you, what you need, mm-hmm. uh, the more you're out there talking to these people about, you know, what's really happening. Stuff still happens, but at least you know, right, for sure. Right, right. Well, along those same lines of talking to your vendor and knowing what's available for your system, should you do that once a year? Check in with your team of um, employees and do like a specific training? Or is it recommended maybe to just test them and send them emails and see if they fall for anything? Like, or could it be both? Like, what are your thoughts on that, James? So with regards to ransomware, with regards to your third party, your connections, everything that you're doing, incident response plans are key. Um, and I'm going to kind of come at it this from two perspectives. One, dealing with incidents, and then two, training your, your educating your, your team. Your, your incident response, and again, this goes back into your risk register, goes back to your, your ERP, is looking at what are the biggest threats to your organization. You know, what what is what are we susceptible to? Are we susceptible to ransomware attacks? We're susceptible to social engineering. Are we susceptible to um, our systems being exploited that are internet facing because we're not patching fast enough, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And you're going through and then looking at those incidents that can occur and you're doing threat modeling exercises, figuring out, okay, if they attack us, how are they going to do it? What's it going to, so you can plan what your response is going to be. So if your organization your ERP system, your on-prem file servers get hit with ransomware. What is the first thing you do? What's the second thing? What's the third? Who do you call? Um, don't say Ghostbusters. Uh, who do you end up calling? Who's the first person that's called? Who's the second? What's that tree look like? Mm-hmm. Then are you shutting down the system? Are you disconnecting networking? You know, having that play-by-play and knowing what everybody's got to do. And how you figure that out is you all get together in a room and you go through and do what we call a tabletop exercise. And you go through as if it's real. You put everybody in the room with their computers 
and you go, okay, go. We've just discovered the SOC, the security operations center just called us. Four servers have just been hit with ransomware. Our website's gone. Our social media presence is, is dwindling. We've lost our file servers. What do we do? And you basically go through and everybody learns or reviews what their role is and what they're supposed to do. So that way, when it actually happens, you know what to do. I may have said it before on, on this one. I know I've said it before in other presentations where there's a reason when you get on the airplane, and I've been doing a lot of traveling lately, so I know, but there's a reason when you get on the airplane, they go, the exits are here, 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 and here. In the event of a water landing, which always cracks me up, a water landing, you crash. But anyway, um, in, in the event of a water landing, you put on the life vest. This is how you blow it up. This is how you wear it. You know, They go through that. So, you know, so when it actually happens, you can kind of trigger back going, oh, right, I got to grab my, you know, get my life vest and tear it open, throw it over my head and wrap it around and off we go. That's the same thing that you want to do with your, your teams. And that's your InfoSec team, your IT team, your businesses, your C-suite, your communications, your legal team, all of them. Anybody that you need, you get in that room or at different times, but you go through those scenarios, whether it's a ransomware attack or it's a data breach or it's a loss of a particular system. You're going to have different people, different times that are going to go through that exercise. And then you document it and then you learn from that. So when it actually does happen, nobody's freaking out going, okay, who do I call now? What's the next thing we got to do? It's all documented. And it, and while we hate planning for the worst, you know, I, I live in Florida and we got hurricanes that come through, you know, every now and again, and we have that hurricane prep plan. It's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we do it and being prepared. And so that takes care of a lot of that. Now, from the training perspective of your users, you want to assess how, how well they're going to react in uh, to a phishing email. Because that's the common way majority of the attacks that we still see are done through social engineering. And you want to train everybody in the organization, everybody from, from the, uh, the boardroom down to the mailroom. Uh, and everybody has to have that training, different styles, different perspectives on it, but everyone has to be doing it. And everybody has to have those phishing emails, uh, those assessments going through because doctors, lawyers, rocket scientists, CEOs, boardroom members, security people, IT people, We've all clicked on those links. We've all fallen victim to it. And a lot of the time people end up doing it is because they're rushed. You know, we know that, okay, I got to hover over the link and, and check, but it's because you are rushed. You're in a, a situation where it's like, you're trying to get the email out and another one comes in. You're like, what the heck is this benefits changing? Well, let me have a look. Oh and then, boy. And you end up clicking on it. Um, it was, it was a Wednesday. It was about 1159. I was waiting on a customer on a Zoom call and I had an email pop up that says, uh, your customer's waiting uh, on your Zoom call. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, no, I'm already in the Zoom call. And I'm like, am I in the wrong call? Are they in the wrong call? No. 10 minutes ago, we're about to start this meeting. Okay, close it out, go into the email, bring it up. There it is. Click on the link to join the meeting. Fine, click on the link. And up popped the no before login box. Oh, oh no. <laughs> gotcha. This, so this do go sweat, <laughs> cold sweat just ran down. <laughs> oh no! Because I was sitting there going, "No, way. uh, -uh. no way, this couldn't have happened." And I close out the box. You of all people, James. <laughs> and I go back over and I hover over, and sure enough, it is one of our fishing assessments. So at this point, I am like shocked. 
I'm denying it going, no, 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 it can't be that bad. I closed out the window. Right. Didn't give them their credentials. Yeah, I clicked on the link, but I closed it out pretty quick. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then I get angry because I get angry at myself because I fell victim to the scam. Right. I get angry because now I got to do the training. And then I'm angry <laughs> right. at guys for sending me this email right at a point where I'm about to start a meeting. Mm-hmm. But I was rushed. I rushed myself into that situation and not take the time to check. Yep. And eventually I get to the, I eventually accepted it and went, okay, so from now on, I'm going to always check the link. If I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at it and go, am I expecting the email? Do I know the person sending it? Um, are they asking me to do something in a hurried manner or do I feel hurried that I have to react to it? Right. And if any of those are meeting a, a certain criteria, then I am stopping and yeah. slowing down and checking that link. I am yeah. checking who it's coming from. I have to then take that opportunity because I have to learn from the mistake that I did. And it wasn't a gotcha moment. It was a teaching moment, you know, as much as I hated that, but it was important to be able to accept that. And essentially I went through the the stages of fishing grief um, (laughs) as you compare it to grief in general, there's one I didn't cover and that was bargaining and you can't bargain with the IT folks that send you those fishing emails. So you just, I just don't include it. But so you experience it and it is frustrating. You get angry and you're going to have your users are going to be angry when you do those assessments. But it's important that they learn because we've had these old habits and habits that we've done with email for years. And we have to create new habits and changing habits is not easy because we try to do it December 31st every year. Right. Everybody knows what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Um, and. Changing those habits requires frequency. You got to do it often. You've got to do it regularly and you've got to work at it. And so, you know, you got to have your incident response plans. You got to run your team through it. You got to do the phishing assessments uh, and you got to make sure that, you know, people understand the why behind it and that you're not doing this to trick them. You're not doing this to go, ha ha, we got you. No, this is so that we can educate you and learn. Yes, you are going to be upset because you clicked on that link. It's it's a fact of life because you, you feel that you've been scammed, you've been you know had, and we all consider ourselves smart, intelligent people. Now, guy walking down the street in New York City opens up his coat and goes, "Hi, you want to buy a Rolex?" Yeah, you know that's not a real one, or a Gucci bag, or whatever it may be. You know, and you're not falling for that scam. But when you're in a rush and you're hurried and you come back over and you click on that link and then you go, "Oh shoot!" You know. Exactly. <laughs> Oh boy. (laughs) If you could be fooled, James, that means anyone can for sure, right? You're right. Anybody hasn't, though. I I bet you are so good about just being careful and aware of stuff, right? You haven't, do you know if you've hit something like that? Me? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. How would I know? Well, you know, because after you do it, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. Right. You actually do know, I think. Right? Do you? I did, yeah, I did something six months ago because I was rushed. The bank mm-hmm. says blah. I, and I clicked it. I'm like, OK, this is fishing. But I'm like, oh, no, it's whatever. Click it. Go to the site. Like, oh, this is definitely. Oh, no, this is the site mocked up. Hmm. And then, you know, start doing stuff. And then I realized I, I did it. I'm like, ah, oh, it's fine, whatever. And I zoomed on to the next thing. And then I like bolted out of bed at two in the morning. Like, oh, my God, I think that was fishing. And so I went back into it. 
And I start clicking, there's the homepage uh, for the bank. And I start going over all the other stuff and nothing's working, right? It should be showing links and whatever to go to other parts of the bank. It is not working. Like good news is, is, I mean, I don't know about that one. That one, James would have had me in a heartbeat, what you did, but usually these things are kind of like, they use weird capitalization or there's, you know, something that's like, are you guys like even speaking English, right? You can usually figure that stuff out. Like Erica's talked about that, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, that one, that one got me. And like, you just knew, like, I just knew later, it took me a bit and I had that lag, um, but it was the same. Usually, kind of usually when you get an email and it's coming from your bank or it's coming from an organization that you work with, social media, financial, don't rely on the link in the email. Right. Oh, well, it, text. it was even worse because Erica, I was doing stuff in the bank earlier, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. she's like, hey, send me the code. And I'm like, how do I know who you are? Oh, you're my wife. I guess that's okay. But <laughs> but then anyway, yeah. but Juliet's, I think, going to be the model citizen because she's cool, calm, and collected. Mm, not so much. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice I'll, if I'll, it was true? I'll take that as a challenge. Oh, oh, no. oh, oh Julia. <laughs> you are so screwed, Julia. <laughs> I'm not opening any email. Don't ever give them quick books. You know, and, please. And that's funny you say that, Julia. And, and that is that is a typical reaction. That is a, a response when you have people that fall victim to the phishing assessments. They go, that's it. I'm never, I'm not opening another email. Forget it. I'm going to send everything to IT. And what it comes down to is, okay, you know that there are dangers in email. We just need to kind of polish it a little bit. You're, you're there. We just kind of need to affirm up some things. It's like, yeah, you'll get your email. You'll open it up. And it'll be like, okay, you just want a new car. Click on the link. Well, yeah, we know that's bogus. But then it could be an email that Sean sends you goes, hey, we're going to have um, the, the clients I just met with today. We want to get them some gift cards. So, you know. That happened. You have that. That, that. James, that happened. Three people in our business got Oops. a text a text from got me. A text. Yep. Yep. Yeah. One of the guys was like, I'm not, you know, it was kind yeah. of. Not funny, but oh, it was five. five Erica five says five boy. people. Oh boy, so they're like targeting people. Yeah. But the other thing they'll do is they'll just send you an email. So it'll be an email that might appear to come from Sean, and it'll be to you, Juliet, and goes, "Are you in the office today?" And you go, "Yeah, I'm here today. What's up?" Right, and that's they hook oh. you, oh, and now he start because you think it's Sean. They they're going they're sitting on the other end going, <laughs> "We got her." And then they'll they'll do something else that'll continue to build rapport. No links, no attachments, no requests, just carrying on the conversation. And it'll be a little, it'll be like two or three down the line, but very quickly, like within a half an hour. And then the ask will come in and you'll be like, oh yeah, sure, no problem. Boom. And, you know, or it'll be a link going, hey, we got, I got the new contract from X company, can you just give a quick review or whatever might be in line with what you're responsible You know, I got so-and-so to be on, I got Bruce Schneier to be on the podcast next month. Here, check it out. Oh, great. Bruce Schneier, top security guy, click on the link. And that's kind of how, you know, oh boy. even then you have to be aware, you know, if the email comes in and goes, Hey, are you in the office today, or even a request that's not with a link or an attachment or anything else, it's always important that if it, you, you always kind of have your spidey sense up and going something right about this. And then when you go ho- hover and check the email address and you'll see, okay, that's not Sean's email address. Right. Oh it'll say God. his name, but it won't be his, it won't be his email. It'll just pretend to look like it's coming from his. 
I actually think Juliet probably will never be in her email or no. <laughs> again after this call. That was me last time we did this call. James. Any I of our calls with James. I know. <laughs> but it's so good to talk about this now, right? And yeah. even like from an ERP perspective, like this is why you got to have users that are on certain uh, roles. We don't talk about this that much, right? But if you're kind of limiting the the access that people have, if yeah. something does occur, God forbid, at least they don't have access to everything. So at principle, at least privilege. Yeah, there you go. Right. So, so there's things to do. I mean, it's so easy to feel like a victim in all this stuff, but you know, the, I think, like you said, like the getting the plan together makes a ton of sense. I do think talking to the vendors is huge. I, I think just demanding that kind of relationship with them is just good anyway. Um, definitely password protection, multi-factor authentication, all the typical stuff. But I think the biggest thing you said, James, is we just got to like be aware of what the heck we're doing, you know? And if you're not, go take a walk or something. Don't try to keep working. Right, right. And when we talk about MFA, we have to start considering non-fishable MFA. Now, I know that's probably going to have some folks go, huh? Non-fishable MFA is when you get the code or when you get a code from your app. Um, they're looking at ways where, because if you've got an SMS code coming in, they can intercept. There's ways that they can intercept that. There are ways that they can hack MFA when you log in, even to what appears to be a legitimate site, they can, if they're on your system, they can look at stealing the what's called the session key from your system and use that to get to gain access into the system. Um, one of the ways they're doing non-fishable MFA is you have a hardware token in your computer yeah. and that has to validate as well. It's what we've gone to at, at know before for, um, for our systems. When we yeah. log in every day, we have to use the, the hardware token to be able to log in. It's not getting a code from the Google authenticator app or, or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's kind of starting to step the game up a little more. So it's, it, you want to start looking at non-fishable MFA to really, truly, protect mfa with the sms and the google authenticator or the app is fine but if you really you've got really sensitive systems and you really need to secure them you want to have like hardware tokens or non-fishable mfa that somebody can't try and send in and try and get you to log into another site and, and then try to steal that session so yeah now I really freaked everybody out. I was going to say, I was fine. Oh I kind of got over it, but now I'm like, we're screwed. <laughs> That's it. Right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, we could continue this conversation. I'm going to um, ask one more question, and then we might have to wrap up. But um, is there insurance that companies can buy to help protect them if they're hit by ransomware? If you'd asked me that question a year ago, I would have said, yeah, definitely go for it. Problem is, cyber insurance, the premiums have skyrocketed in the last year. Hmm. They have gone up so much, not only because they've been attacked, but so many organizations have been hit that had their insurance. And, you know, this the, the cyber criminals knew that this organization who they were targeting had cyber insurance. So they knew they'd get their money because the, the, the insurance company would pay. You had certain cases where... You were insured also for the amount of money you were going to be ransomed because usually the ransomware policy would cover your overhead work, what you've got to do, your operational work. You know, you got to bring in a third party, you got to 
um, pay your folks overtime. You've got to get new servers. You got to do this. That's what that insurance covered. But then you still had riders that could cover the actual cost of the insurance. Sorry, the cost of the ransom where the ransom. Mm-hmm. So if you were having to pay a million dollars or 500,000 or whatever, um, yeah, that way um, the insurance was there to help. But because there's been so many issues, the the cost of insurance has is, is gone up uh, tremendously and it's been extremely problematic for a lot of organizations. Hmm. If, if a company was willing to pay the premiums, um, does it pay out in the end if you needed it? It can, um, but the funny thing is, and this, this is always interesting to me, when it comes to ransomware attacks, you know, if you've got to pay out a million dollars or ten million dollars or a hundred, whatever they they hit you up for, if you would take ten percent of that and put that back into the organization for additional training, for code development, security mm-hmm. code development, put it back into your users it would go a lot further than it would be giving 1.8 million or a hundred million dollars to the cyber criminals. Cause now they're just going to go buy the new Ferrari and Lamborghini that's out. Um, and a lot of folks, a lot of organizations look at it as a reactive, not as a proactive, but if you can have the security awareness training, the phishing assessments, you know, trying to get your users to essentially become a human detection and response. We've heard of EDR systems and XDR. What we need here are HDR systems. And that's our humans, our human detection and response systems. We need to have folks. We need to have the security culture growing within organizations, in organizations, in our lives. It's not easy. It's easier. It's way easier said than done. But we want to start increasing the the security culture within organizations so folks are keeping security top of mind. They are, you know, going through and checking their email, not being worried that, okay, well, I'm not going to open up the email anymore. But knowing that they can have that confidence to be able to go through and find and spot the emails that are phishing. Um, but if you kind of took more of that and put it into training and did more to grow the culture in the organization, uh, that would make the organization certainly more secure, in, along with the tech paralleling with the technology. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think we are almost at the end of our time. So I'm just going to ask one last question, like any parting words like for our listeners um, related to ransomware and ERP, anything to protect their business, their employees, their data, what have you? Don't click on. Oh, wait, never mind. Um, (laughs) Oh, fuck. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's it. I kind of reemphasize what I talked about. You know, you're you've got the technology in your organization. You've you want to make sure you're using multi-factor authentication. What we've talked about to protect those critical systems. You want the principle of least privilege. Privilege. Make sure you're doing your tabletop exercises. You have your incident response. That way, people know what they're doing ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Keep your systems, especially the internet-facing ones, patched and up to date. Uh, making sure that um, you don't have re- the remote desktop protocol exposed to the internet, that cyber criminals can now use that as a way to get into the organization and training your users, you know, getting those users educated. They're not going to like it because, you know, great. Now I got to learn something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it goes back to that culture. Um, speaking of the uh, the patches. Um, oh, hang on. Did I, I don't know if I said this one or not. But speaking of the the patches, um, I don't know if anybody knows how to fix the jack-o'-lanterns. If you have a vulnerability with your jack-o'-lantern, oh, you yes. apply a pumpkin patch. <laughs> That's right. I love that. 
Did I say that one already? Sorry. <laughs> I love it. I it's love good. it. I would say, Juliet, um, I mean, James is the expert and it's always a pleasure. It's always a little spooky. That's why we do it in cybersecurity Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. Halloween. But I would say, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about legacy applications, you know, over the last year, legacy ERP applications. And, um, you know, I'm just going to kind of say it. Uh, like a legacy application is a little bit of an indicator of the investment in IT we do as an organization. You know, like we're running on an old software solution. Oh, okay, fine. You know, and usually people call us when they're like, oh, yeah, that person that wrote it is like, uh, it just hit the lottery, hopefully, right? Usually they want to retire. Very rarely are they dead, but sometimes that does happen. I hate to say that, but it does happen. Um, Grant and I were at a client recently when, uh, you know, the, the, the guy who didn't write it, but was there and we met him and we're like, Oh my God, like, is this guy like going to go cuckoo or what? You know? So, and your whole business, uh, $500 million business is running on this whole thing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like the ERP application, the patching, the upgrades, there's a reason why we need to upgrade these applications. It's not just, to pay our implementation partners more money for an upgrade, it's that there are security patches, there are vulnerabilities in these apps that over time you pay maintenance and other people pay maintenance, then they figure this stuff out and you ha- you really do have to take advantage of that. So yeah. I would say um, it's, it's, it's not, you know, I, I choose my words wisely here, but it's just a little bit of negligence to be on an older product, not just because it doesn't meet our needs for our business or we've outgrown it or there's functionality, but, you know, especially in talking here to James, it's because it leaves us more vulnerable to security risks that we just shouldn't have to be. So that's the last piece I would end with on my, try to make it really, you know, uptone at the end. That's right. But but if, you know, that's right. Yeah, but but you know the legacy ERP. I think I've seen this over and over and over. It's just yet another reason why organizations have to say, you know, what we cannot do this anymore. Not mm-hmm. just because of the normal reasons, but also the security risks. So just watch out for that. The good news is, lots of good apps. You know, cloud does help, but like James said, there's still some risks there. But um, even on-prem systems, there's things to do for sure. Right? Nobody has to be a victim with all this. There are things we can all do including pray. And then we're fine. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today. And then James, same time, same place next year. (laughs) All right. We'd love to have you. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Well, very good. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for joining us um, for today's webinar. Please let us know if you have any questions. We're happy to help in any way we can. And I can get you in touch with James. If you have any other further questions, he'd be happy to help too. So be sure to join us for our next webinar scheduled for Thursday, November 10th, ERP Customization Conundrum, Best Practices for Implementing Your ERP System. We will discuss how to prevent the downfall of your ERP system through the application of best practices. Please go to our website, erpadvisorsgroup.com for more details and to register. ERP Advisors Group is one of the country's top independent enterprise software advisory firms. ERP Advisors Group advises mid to large sized businesses on selecting and implementing business applications from enterprise resource planning, customer relationship management, human capital management, business intelligence, and other enterprise applications, which equates to millions of dollars in software deals each year across many industries. This has been the ERP Advisor. Thank you again for joining us.